toward methodological pluralism. Although the fierce battles between positivistic and post-positivistic camps of philosophers are remnants of the past, today's researchers continue to debate the issues surrounding appropriate methods of educational inquiry, whereby placing positivism in the center of the debates. For instance, Howe posits the existence of a tacit form of positivistic research, new scientific orthodoxy, that presumably is still thriving in educational research. You would question this and similar statements on the grounds of persisting misconceptions and misrepresentations of positivism in educational research. See chapters 1, 2, and the discussion above. Current research in hard and soft sciences is engaged in multi-schematic and multi-paradigmatic inquiries, choosing among available and often competing methodological alternatives. Epistemological and methodological pluralism, which is the reality of the day, calls into question any assumption of certainty regarding the knowledge of the world and any fixed method designed to unravel all its mysteries. The existing theoretical frameworks and methods in educational research do not represent impervious to criticism or annihilation models, but rather alternative and multiple paradigms of research, each of which can represent the best available and most appropriate model for individual inquiry, and each of which can be eventually subject to questioning and rejection. Choosing appropriate paradigms for a particular research project is the key to the project's successful planning, that is, selecting appropriate methodologies and that project's subsequent implementation. Relevant to our discussion on research methodologies is the question of definitions. The terms methodology and methods are often used synonymously, even though they have very distinct meanings and purposes. Both words have their origins in Latin, and their etymology partially was addressed in chapters 1 and 2. Consulting the etymology of many terms that we use in education is essential to their proper understanding. The roots, prefixes, or endings of these terms often bear important connotations that, if not accounted for, could create controversies and debates around their use. And these occur fairly often among educational researchers and scholars. Method, for instance, designates, quote, particular activities that are used to achieve research results. Methods include various experimental designs, sampling procedures, measuring instruments, and the statistical treatment of data. The word method retains the mean of its etymological roots. It is made up of the root words meta and hodos. Meta means from or after, and hodos, journey. The word method is thus a going after, or a pursuit. It is a pursuit of knowledge. De Marais and Lapin define method as specific research techniques used to gather evidence about a phenomenon, and it typically utilizes such research tools as surveys, observations, interviews, and the like. Bogdan and Bicklin define method as, quote, consistent with the logic embodied in the methodology, end quote. Methodology, on the other hand, reflects an overarching process or plan for researching phenomena. Methodology includes the root word logos, which has a rich history beginning with Greek philosophy, where it was used to refer to the principle of reason, the source of world order and intelligibility. See above. Methodology is, quote, the examination of the possible plans to be carried out, the journeys to be undertaken, so that an understanding of phenomena can be obtained, end quote. Methodology is typically informed by major systems of inquiry, or paradigms, and includes under its umbrella definition-specific ideas or theories as part of the conceptual repertoire and corresponding epistemological positions and methods. Epistemological and ontological assumptions ought to be especially carefully crafted, since they have a significant impact on how we generate knowledge. Desmarais and Lepin reiterate a similar position, claiming that our assumptions about what we believe knowledge is, quote, are embedded in methodological discussions, and therefore have consequences for how we design and implement our research studies, end quote. For example, ethnographic research can be grounded in a range of epistemological and methodological positions, such as symbolic interactionalism or critical theory cultural and cognitive anthropology, 
or feminism. Specific theoretical assumptions about how one defines culture are certainly paramount for ethnographic research. Determining which methods to use, such as observations, interviews, document analysis, etc., should first be based on a thorough review of methodologies, which addresses phenomena that can be studied as the method emerges in a related way. Thus, it is imperative that researchers qualify their inquiries by demonstrating how their research is connected to larger theoretical and philosophical dispositions on knowledge that often constitute a system or tradition of inquiry, paradigm, such as empirical analytic, pragmatic, interpretive, critical, that provides a substantive context for situating and crafting a credible research plan, methodology, that is aligned with appropriate activities and tools for collecting and analyzing data, methods. Selecting a methodology and accompanying methods can be a daunting task for novice researchers, given the varied and sometimes unique ways in which the overarching research paradigms and methodologies are interpreted by the respective researcher, authors of research methods texts, and articles addressing methodological assumptions. It should be noted that the assumptions of what research is in the field of human and the social sciences has changed significantly over the last several decades. The repudiation of positivism and subsequent changes in the understanding of scientific method, along with the emergence and growing popularity and legitimacy of interpretive methodologies, have changed the nature and scope of educational research. Although over the years, interpretive, qualitative research has gained proper recognition and place within the constellation of methodologies in social and human sciences, many contemporary educational researchers and scholars continue to debate the nature of the scientific method, which supposedly puts a demarcation line between more scientific, quantitative research and its less scientific, qualitative counterpart. Moreover, many partisan researchers on both sides of the debate continue to misrepresent positivism by associating it with quantitative research. It is imperative for educational researchers to develop a deeper and clearer perspective on the philosophical underpinnings of quantitative inquiry. We rely primarily on you to demystify positivism in general, especially its misconceived relation to quantitative research. You presents a detailed analysis of positivism, its history and its relevance or absence thereof to quantitative methods of analysis. Quote, While positivism has been universally rejected by philosophers of science over the past 50 years, the current textbooks still either associate quantitative methods with positivist ones or cover quantitative methods within a positivist frame of reference. Despite the fact that newer epistemologies and methodologies, such as post-positivism, critical realism, and critical multiplism, have been discussed in numerous books and articles, the debate regarding the paradigm of quantitative methods seems to be trapped in a time warp, end quote. There are several reasons for the misunderstanding of the relationships between positivism and quantitative research. Quote, the misunderstanding is due to the association between the one-way reductionism endorsed by certain logical positivists and quantitative methods. In addition, quantitative research includes time series analysis, repeated measures, and other trend-based inquiries, and thus it is inaccurate to describe quantitative research as merely orientating towards outcomes and lacking the process orientation. End quote. Further, the perception that quantitative research assumes static reality is attributed to the myth that logical positivists are realists, which is conceptually erroneous. Whereas from a positivist standpoint, reality is equated with experience, quantitative researchers typically posit objective reality as the point of departure for pursuing research. Logical positivism represents conventionalism, relativism, and subjectivism, a position that is essentially anti-realist. Yu contends that at the ontological, epistemological, and methodological levels, quote, the Fisherian school, the Neiman-Pearson school, the Bayesian school, the resampling school, and the exploratory data analysis, EDA school, are fundamentally different and to some extent are incompatible, end quote. 
This statement clearly supports the epistemological and methodological pluralism position relevant to quantitative and qualitative methods, as well as the methods within each of these categories. Positivists' major principle of verification represents another dilemma with regard to misconceived relations between positivism and quantitative research. The principle of verification concerns statements of meaning and posits that a statement is meaningless if verification is not possible. Therefore, if statistical methods that are applied cannot yield verifiable results, the effort is useless. In the tradition of quantitative research, there is no evidence that any major quantitative researchers subscribe to this radical epistemology. For example, Cronbach, the famous statistician who introduced Cronbach coefficient alpha and construct validity, did not restrict his inquiry to only verifiable materials in the logical positivist sense. When Cronbach contemplated the problem of causal inferences in research, he did not employ LISREL, LISREL, or other quantitative causal modeling techniques. Instead, he looked to the more qualitative methods of the ethnographer, historian, and journalist. Statistical methods do not provide verification in the logical positivist sense. Quote, the logic of statistical hypothesis testing is not to verify whether the hypothesis is right. Rather, the logic is to find the probability of obtaining the sample data in the long run given that the null hypothesis is true. However, if we put any theory in the perspective of the long run, nothing can be conclusively verified. End quote. In agreement with you, we contend that many educational researchers incorrectly attribute causal inferences to logical positivism. Quantitative methods, which include randomized experiments, quasi-experiments, meta-analysis, and structural equation modeling, are not compatible with the anti-cause notion of logical positivism. Yu further argues that it is questionable to attribute positivist reductionism to quantitative research. The history of positivism shows how the originators of many statistical models, which are still widely used in quantitative research, such as Pearson and Fisher, initially adopted positivistic assumptions predominant at that time. Yet shortly after the overall repudiation of positivism, most if not all scientists abandoned its positions. See chapters 1 and 2. The point that logical positivism is not and cannot be the modern scientific paradigm can hardly be overestimated. Positivistic assumptions of science have become obsolete by default due to the scientific and technological advancements of the recent century. And current methods of going after knowledge are not a matter of certainty, but rather a choice that can yield the best explanation or understanding among the existing alternatives. Various schools in quantitative research utilize different assumptions and could be treated as independent traditions. Therefore, methodological pluralism is encouraged by quantitative researchers. Quote, what is needed is to encourage researchers to keep an open mind to different methodologies by allowing research methods being driven by research questions, while retaining skepticism to examine their philosophical assumptions of various research methodologies instead of unquestioningly accepting popular myths. End quote. The perspectives provided by you. Polkinghorn and Osmond and Craver suggest the need for one carefully scrutinized philosophical frameworks. 2. Utilizing a syncretic process that incorporates a multi-paradigmatic approach to educational research. And 3. Exploring new philosophical directions in an effort to maximize the potential of the researcher's inquiry. In this chapter, we illustrate how 12 burgeoning researchers coming from various fields of educational study have approached their respective projects using various epistemological and methodological perspectives informed by specific overarching systems of inquiry in an effort to gain a more in-depth understanding of their research and its ramifications. See chapters in part two.
The works of these authors originated from their dissertation research projects that effectively represent inquiries into significant human problems and the attempts to solve them. Table 3.2 exhibits the approach that we take to position the chapters in Part 2 within the four major paradigms of research, empirical analytic, pragmatic, interpretive, and critical. In what follows, we provide a brief analysis of these chapters, focusing on how specific types of knowledge, theories, and theoretical orientations are linked directly with the steps of the research process. For instance, several authors developed their studies within the empirical analytic system of inquiry. In Chapter 9, Anne Perry and Nancy Bentley explore the impact of the Cognitive Information Processing Approach, CIP, for career problem-solving and decision-making on first-year college students enrolled in freshman-level core college courses at an open-enrollment, career-oriented, regionally-accredited Midwestern Proprietary University. In agreement with an experimental quantitative design, they proposed a hypothesis that the Career Thoughts Inventory, CTI, scores for subjects who complete the workbook intervention will be lower for those who do not. The hypothesis was tested through utilization of the intervention strategy. Accordingly, the researchers randomly assigned students to a control or experimental group, grounded their study in the principles of cognitive therapy as it applies to problem-solving and decision-making, and conducted the experiment. The results supported their assumptions regarding student perceptions about career planning as measured through the CTI. In Chapter 10, Irene Adamopoulos' study employed a non-experimental descriptive survey design. Her intent was to describe a specific phenomenon. Greek parents' perceptions and experiences about their children's learning and socio-emotional challenges in elementary school. Her survey included a large sample of parents who reside in different areas of Greece. In addition to the survey, she used the test of psychosocial adaptation, where parents rated their children's social-emotional learning function. The study was guided by Brenner's ecological systems theory. Using the ecological perspective, she explored the impact of Greek society's limiting factors, constraints and opportunities, and the general environment. The large data sets, the multiple perspectives, and the statistical measures provided a wealth of information that enabled Adamapula to gain a depth of knowledge that informs and yet remains fallible and subject to further improvement. Andrea Lehmacher, in Chapter 11, employed mixed methods design to explore the enrollment practices at two Illinois community colleges and the factors that contributed to or impeded the overall enrollment management process. Open systems theory was used as a framework to guide her thinking about the appropriate methodological approach that she would employ. The research process began with collecting quantitative data via the SEM Health Assessment Survey. The results of the quantitative analysis provided statistical evidence that supported and, in some cases, refuted her assumptions regarding the impact of certain core values on successful enrollment management processes. Subsequently, she utilized qualitative, semi-structured interviews to triangulate data and add credibility to her research study. All three of the aforementioned projects were pragmatic in their underlying purposes, although their implementation was carried on within different theoretical frameworks and methods. Figure 3.1 points to conceptual connections between the six paradigms identified in this book. It is fairly common for actual research projects to be conceptualized within closely connected paradigms in terms of research purposes or designs. The pragmatic paradigm holds a worldview, quote, that focuses on the outcomes of research that include the actions, situations, and consequences of inquiry, end quote. Pragmatism is an exceedingly practical and applied research philosophy. The pragmatic worldview incorporates multiple methods that would best answer the research questions, utilize quantitative, qualitative, or mixed methods for collecting data, address practical applications of ideas, and emphasize the importance of the research problem as the context for conducting the research. See tables 3.1 and 3.2. In recent years, mixed methods research has gained relative popularity because its purpose is to reach convergent validity or a stronger warranted assertion. 
Johnson and Onwick Buzi, for instance, provide a compelling position regarding the role of mixed methods research and the need to promote the importance of the pragmatic viewpoint as researchers strive to inform practice with a perspective that reflects inductive and deductive approaches. The pragmatic paradigm is the overarching framework shaping Regina Sherman's research in Chapter 8. Sherman selected a grounded theory design for her study because she saw the need for a broad theory or explanation of her particular inquiry. The study reflects qualitative grounded theory and is firmly positioned within the pragmatic tradition. Pragmatism, which reflects Pierce's process of inquiry, abduction, deduction, and reduction, parallels the process Sherman utilized as she wrestled with her research inquiry. The grounded theory design fits her research purposes and questions and is sensitive to the individuals in her setting. Sherman used semi-structured and unstructured interviews with the participants who had graduated from the Clinical Exercise Physiology Program. She stayed close to the data in this design by continually analyzing one set of responses that led to an analysis of the next set. Sherman appropriated the Glasserian version of grounded theory that was best aligned with her research purposes to address the employment challenges faced by graduates of Clinical Exercise Physiology Programs. Her study resulted in a model of sustainable professional employment that captures the processes that guide graduates to management positions in healthcare systems. Several chapters in Part 2 present studies conducted within the traditions of interpretive and critical research, hermeneutics, ethnography, autoethnography, phenomenology, case study, and critical discourse analysis. See Table 3.2. Vladimir Trostin's research in Chapter 4, for instance, was guided by the principles of autoethnography, which he has applied throughout his work as he describes his life story and the factors that have influenced his personal identity. Researchers using this approach attempt to create a more authentic or introspective account of self. Autoethnographers believe that all knowledge is grounded in subjective experience. Thus, they attempt to provide as much information as possible about themselves in their role as reporter of the research since they are the focus of the study. Because the focus is on the researcher, others in the field appear to have a secondary or distant connection to the researcher. The field serves as the milieu for the self-reporter. Often subjective researchers, while in the process of studying themselves, share critical events in their lives, personal tragedies, and professional accomplishments. These researchers are passionate about generating new knowledge through their self-disclosures and honest accounts of their personal experiences. One of the challenges with ethnography is establishing the credibility of the approach and its ability to establish standards of truth, which can be achieved through rich descriptions and we see evidence in Trostin's work. In Chapter 5, Matthew Woolsey selected an ethnographic approach as a framework to shape his exploration of first-generation Asian Indian leaders because it directly addresses his intent to discover how individuals in different cultures and subcultures respond to and make sense of their lived experiences. See Table 3.2. Ethnography is an effective way to understand social reality by directly observing behaviors and interacting with others within the research setting. Wolseley specifically wanted to know which salient features in their backgrounds enabled and nurtured their viability, both in India and in the United States especially. He was also interested in identifying the key motivators that influenced Asian American expatriate college and university leaders to pursue higher education leadership positions in the United States. Wolseley actively pursued data to inform his inquiry. He spent hours observing participants, maintaining field notes and reflections, using thick descriptions to establish credibility and capture behavioral nuances, and studying signs in the language, semiotics, that reflected a stratified hierarchy of meaning structures. He made every effort to become part of the culture in order to gain the trust and the respect of his participants, and, moreover, to be able to understand what is communicated verbally and silently because he possesses the insider's view and now has acquired shared meaning.
Christine Cramp Pfaff, in Chapter 7, developed an ethnographic case study that addressed an elementary school principal's plan to incorporate transformational leadership in her school in an effort to enhance her leadership capabilities, expand teachers' instructional skills, and establish a more professional school culture all with a focus on student improvement. Her research was guided by her intent to identify transformational leadership qualities that could affect change in her own leadership style, improve teaching effectiveness, and build a positive and forward-thinking school culture. See Table 3.2. Her study was grounded in transformational leadership theory. Cramp Pfaff used a case study approach to plan her process for improving the school culture, which is an indication that her research had pragmatic ends to it. Similar to Wolseley, she used an ethnographic approach as a framework to guide her data collection process, which included field notes that reflected the participants' perceptions of the cultural change process introduced. She supplemented this information with semi-structured interviews of four participants and substantiated her findings by triangulating her data. Maria E. Hernandez-Rodriguez's research in Chapter 6 is situated in a hermeneutic tradition, which is about searching for a deep understanding by interpreting the meaning that actions and interactions have for individuals. We can only understand social reality from the individuals immersed in it. Hernandez-Rodriguez applies this hermeneutic approach in her study as she relates the journey of her Hispanic parents and the challenges they faced raising and educating their children. She crafts a detailed account of her parents' experiences by providing a micro-reality of Hispanic parenthood and its meaning. Her research questions focus on parents' preparation of their children for education, their conceptions of their roles in and responsibilities for their child's education, and the role and responsibility of the school relative to preparing parents for the education process. Hernandez-Rodriguez used observation and interviews to collect data to support and inform her interpretation of these experiences. The dialogues are captured in a hermeneutic circle, which creates a dynamic dialogue for understanding and taking this understanding to the next level. See Table 3.2. The critical paradigm has gained special dominance, drawing from the politically transformative events of the civil rights and counterculture movements. The political and philosophical ideas and events reflective of this paradigm's epistemological and philosophical underpinnings have given rise to such forms of educational inquiry as feminism, critical race, ethnicity and queer theories, disability studies, critical discourse and semiotic analyses, and postmodern and poststructuralist inquiries. Critical inquiries are strongly aligned with the interpretive paradigm, and this is evidenced in the works of Krista Robinson-Lyles in Chapter 12, Baudelaire K. Ulysses in Chapter 13, and Sharon Duncan in Chapter 14. Robinson-Niles, for instance, introduces her study with reflection on the state of educational practices based on her experiences as a mother and teacher educator. This reflection sets the stage for her research inquiry. Her inquiry is grounded in social phenomenology and critical hermeneutics, and it is this methodological perspective that shapes her assumptions about which factors create awareness and promote transformation. See Table 3.2. She uses narrative as the tool for collecting data and incorporates a process of storying, restoring, and restoring again in an effort to uncover participants' assumptions and perceived practices relative to her research intent. Robinson Miles elected to add herself as a participant, which she justified on the grounds that her personal narrative would add value to her overall inquiry and research expectations. As a result of her data analysis, she identified three emergent and recurring themes with accompanying subthemes. She concluded that transforming current thinking toward conscientization requires ongoing reflection, questions, and moments of discord, where current assumptions can be challenged and reframed, thus allowing for established mental models to be reconsidered in light of new and convincing perspectives. A significant result for Robinson-Lyles is that she herself experienced a sense of transformation as she carefully prepared a process for teaching teachers how to inform and transform their students. 
Baudelaire K. Ulysses employs critical discourse analysis, CDA, that reflects a number of theories, sampling procedures, and analytic frameworks to explore his overarching research question. How is the current engine of economic globalization or the global economy being propelled by neoliberalism as the dominant discourse? Ulysses is committed to fair-mindedness, freedom of academic practice, and a genuine interest in the human condition, and his passionate commitments drive his thinking and actions. His analysis of the discourse of neoliberalism is informed primarily by the critical theory perspective. Through the use of CDA and the process inherent within the tool, he has been able to dissect and decipher these texts and resources, determine the underlying messages associated with neoliberalism, and discuss these findings within the context of his research intent. Ulysses' study is a compelling case of the potential of unobtrusive methods of analysis. Duncan's research is done in the intersections of phenomenology and critical inquiry into disability studies. See Table 3.2. Her overall intent is to raise awareness of the lived experiences of individuals with disabilities and the impact these experiences have on their families. As Duncan shares the lived experiences of her participants, she inserts specific connections between the story and the research intent. Her purpose is to identify key themes that ground the phenomenology of disability in specific critical intentionalities as portrayed through the participants' experiences. Duncan reaches her ultimate research purpose as she elevates the level of readers' awareness so that able and disabled can meet at the fence and open the gate. The above projects, rendered through the context of major theoretical frameworks of educational inquiry, provide ample opportunities for novice researchers to enhance their skills of data analysis, inferring meaning from individual lived experiences, creating theoretical models to improve practice, and emancipating consciousness to fight for social justice, and along the way to learn to position research projects within appropriate paradigms. Journeying through a variety of research exemplars and paradigms inevitably leads to broadening one's horizons in terms of epistemological and methodological pluralism. Paradigms of Research, Mapping the Final Journey British philosopher, mathematician, and educator Bertrand Russell believed that the value of philosophy can be found in the effects upon those who study it. Many philosophers have attempted to provide definite answers to the fundamental questions concerning the nature of the universe and human being without much success. The value of philosophy, therefore, should be sought in its very uncertainty. Philosophy has achieved value, quote, through the greatness of the objects which it contemplates, and the freedom from narrow and personal aims resulting from this contemplation, end quote. It has to be studied, quote, not for the sake of any definite answers to its questions, since no defined answers can, as a rule, be known to be true, but rather for the sake of the questions themselves. Because these questions enlarge our conception of what is possible, enrich our intellectual imagination, and diminish the dogmatic assurance which closes the mind against speculation, but above all, because, through the greatness of the universe which philosophy contemplates, the mind also is rendered great, and becomes capable of that union with the universe which constitutes its highest good." Collingwood is critical of the excesses of the modern utilitarian mentality that suppresses emotions and ridicules superstitious beliefs in the irrational. He appeals instead to the intuitive and imaginative powers of our primordial being. Bachelard echoes in turn by exclaiming that when imagination works, everything works. Educational researchers pride themselves on implementing the projects that serve practical purposes and solve daily human problems. Yet they also conceive of the value of educational inquiry in posing the questions that enlarge our conception of what is possible and what enriches our intellectual and social imaginations. Imagination is the gateway into the known and the unknown, the mysterious spark that instigates our thinking and desire to pursue daring projects. Imaginative thinking frees us from the constraints of prescriptive rules and standards that dictate how to conduct research projects. Like philosophy, research begins in wonder. 
wondering, and imagination take precedent over calculation and precision in launching successful and gratifying inquiries. And those of us who have ever experienced this know for sure that it is true. Figure 3.2 has wonder at its heart center. Emanating from wonder are research questions, hypotheses, methods, epistemologies, theoretical frameworks, all the ingredients of the research process that are informed by the six paradigms. Figure 3.2 captures the image of the paradigm tapestry as a multi-paradigmatic and holistic representation. Each of the six paradigms envelops corresponding epistemological assumptions and major research designs. Intersecting the cells of the paradigms are the passages with the inscription, Research Process, which intends to convey the idea that the research process is informed from the beginning to end by specific paradigms and that it is circular in nature. Its circular nature is explicated in the word itself. Research, meaning searching all over again. It implies that our knowledge of the world and human phenomena is never complete. The end of any research process, no matter how strongly it can be grounded in foundational knowledge, signifies a new question emerging from the results, and thus the process continues. Open spaces between the paradigms on the outer circle connote the holes in our knowledge and infinite possibilities of its pursuit through multidimensional and diverse paradigmatic research processes. The circle is never complete and the research process remains open. Our paradigm journey ends on the pages of this chapter. It is final, but not complete or finite. We have endeavored this quest out of the desire to broaden our conception of what is possible in educational inquiry and to enlarge our intellectual imagination of it. We are grateful to the readers who joined in along the way. The search for truth begins with wonder at its heart center and continues as we speak.